Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSB Magazine. You're listening to a new The Hacker Factory podcast with hacker maker, Philip Wiley. You're about to discover what the role of a professional hacker entails, the different specializations it holds, and what it takes to learn and become one. Enjoy the conversation as Philip and guests unveil the secrets of professional hacking a mysterious, intriguing, and often misunderstood occupation. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast. I'm your host, the hacker maker, Philip Wiley. In each episode, I have someone with a unique journey into cybersecurity that they will share with us as well as sharing knowledge on how to get started in the industry. And today I'm very excited to have with me Matt Healy. So uh, Matt works for Bishop Fox and he's a pen tester and, and he says he's got some, some good stories for us. So we're looking forward to the good stories. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Hey, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. I know before we started, you told us, told me how, <laughs> how busy things are. So definitely appreciate it. And I do like before, you know, we get started into this uh, to share with our listeners, like a lot of people, we have his guest, Matt's big on helping people. So I think what he has to say and share today is going to be very helpful. Sweet. So I'll go ahead and get started. I guess I'll tell you a little bit about what I do currently and then sort of jump back to how I got here. Um, So right now I'm a senior security consultant engineer at Bishop Fox. Uh, Primarily what Bishop Fox does is offensive security consulting for the fortune companies. So that could be Amazon, Apple, Facebook, uh, pretty much a lot of your big names. Do a lot of like web app pen testing, mobile pen testing, uh, reverse engineering, product security, stuff like that. Specifically, what I do every day uh, is a good mix of product security and web applications. So I handle a lot of physical products from IoT devices to tractors, cars, um, that sort of stuff. But always with those devices, you tend to see a lot of web applications, um, mobile applications. Things just tend to mix in that sort of realm. Uh, so the fun part about a consulting company is it's never the same thing. It's never the same client. So the projects change uh, pretty much on a two to three week basis, sometimes longer, uh, depending on what you're working on. But it's a really good mix of data, a good mix of um, you know experience in project types. But um, so I'll sort of get started on like how I got to this point. Uh, so maybe five-ish years ago, six years ago. Uh, I guess I first started my InfoSec career when I was in college, a um, little bit in high school, but I really didn't know what I was doing, right? Like they had Bone Hub. Uh, I'd done the Mr. Robot Bone Hub and like, that's what I was into. However, the resources just weren't all there, uh, especially back when I was first starting, right? Like Hack the Box was really difficult, especially um, now they have like all the training paths and the labs and like it's very beginner tailored you know, beginner friendly. Back in the day, it didn't happen to be the case. They had a couple of easy boxes, uh, but the majority of them were very difficult for somebody to get in. So, um, you know, sort of flash forward. I tried that in high school. It sort of worked, but, you know, I was still a kid trying to figure out what I wanted to do and that sort of space. 
Um, and then I got into college and when I was the end of my freshman year in college, um, and I went to Arizona State University for college, I started a club, a school club, kind of a club. Wasn't We didn't really know what it was yet, right? We found five people that were interested in hacking or pen testing and not really on like the binary analysis side. So uh, we weren't super interested in like all the CTFs and that sort of stuff. We were more interested in like the big picture stuff. So like, you know, high scale web applications, uh, products that have, you know, 15, 20 different components. Sometimes it does have like the binary analysis aspect to it, but it wasn't just that. So we tried to start a club and there was five of us um, and it was just for pen testing. It was going to be a pen testing club. Uh, we got approval from, you know, one of the professors. It was going to be a mix of red team, blue team, and we'd split it up during the weeks. And it just didn't work out how we thought it would be. Um, we sort of sold it off or sold it off as like, hey, do you guys want to learn hacking? Like, do you want to learn this? And so we, you know, we would constantly go out and try to find a bunch of students to get involved with this club. And we really oversold what we were teaching them. And so, you know, the first meeting comes around, the room is packed. We're expecting like maybe five, 10 people in this room. And there's like 70 people the first day for the brand new club. And we were just shocked. We, we didn't really know what we were doing. And so we essentially started out with like, hey, maybe we'll try to do like the very entry level hack box. Maybe we'll try this. Like, we'll just sort of see how the day plays out. So, you know, we did like a club introduction, started talking back and forth and did that. Um, and what we found very quickly is that with like this really broad range of students, we had English majors, art majors, uh, mathematicians, some engineers, some computer science. We had such a wide range of students that we had a really hard time actually tailoring content that would fit what they wanted. Um, so if we were trying to teach how to do like web application pen testing, for example, they didn't even really know how to use Linux in some instances, or some people were like expert beyond uh, what we could do. Software developers, they've been writing web applications for years and like, that's just sort of the nature of how we started out. So after that meeting, we tailored the content for this club uh, specifically to match like what we thought we would want if we were more of like an engineering student or just beginning out, you know, fresh as can be doing like banded over the wire. Um, and that's really where like I started getting into the, the whole hacking scene or the, you know, the pen testing scene. Um, and then from there, like it's grown and grown and grown. We started with five people and now they have a little over 1100, 1200 people now. Uh, they still do meetings every single week and we've opened the club up actually to pretty much anybody. Uh, they have a discord. Um, they do all the talks in the discord and that sort of stuff. Very cool. I'm, I'm sure it's going to be satisfying to see that the, that the club has carried on and grown, grown like that over the years. That's really good. Yeah, it's, it's great to see. It's been a lot of work. Um, you know, a lot of just testing the water, seeing if things work, trying to see if like, you know, if we can get more, um, I want to say user retention with like cooler things on the website or writing CVE posts or writing blog posts and that sort of stuff. So it's definitely been a good experiment of ours. Uh, I don't know if anybody really thought that we would grow this club into uh, something this size, but it's been awesome. Yeah, you just never can tell how that's going to turn out. So how did that experience help you in your current role? Because I'm sure that there's junior pen testers that you work with or help, you know, bring up the speed when bringing them on, bringing them on board. 
Yeah, absolutely. So when I first tried, like the first job that I went for, uh, I went for actually a blue team job because I wasn't really sure where I was going. And I failed at that miserably. Uh, didn't get the job. They told me that like, you're, you're going the wrong direction. Like you're a red teamer. You want to do the attack side, not the defense. So when we started getting this club up and running, um, the one thing that I, you know, that I tried to do as best I could is get basically going out and getting guest speakers. Right. So we had Honeywell come out. We had Bishop Fox come out. We had um, Lockheed Martin came out and we had one other one, but I can't remember the, the name of the company. Um, but anyways, uh, we had a bunch of people come out for these guest talks and like, that was originally where I actually met Bishop Fox. Um, so we had Gavin Stroy and Mike Ostrowski that both came out for the first talk that we did. And I met the recruiters, like I met them, uh, and we all just clicked. Right. And since then, uh, Bishop Fox has sponsored talks. So they give different talks on tools like eyeballers, writing custom things like, um, you know, developing your pen testing career, that sort of stuff. But they do that every semester. Uh, we also have like a direct recruiting pipeline with them, which is really cool. So people that are in the club basically get first pick on um, sort of where they're going, right? So we have a pipeline with Bishop Fox and Carvana. Um, and ultimately what this does is it, it gets students from the university almost like a direct line for recruiting for these hard to get positions. I say hard to get because it's not always so easy when you're trying to get to like infosec recruiters. Sometimes there's a few hurdles that you have to jump through, but with the club specifically, it's it's pretty nice having that direct communication line. Yeah, that's good because back when I was teaching teaching college and I still mentor people, but one of the things you know always try to encourage the students and mentees to do is to to network because you know it's a lot easier to get a job. You know, if you're going to college, if you get an internship, that gives you a little more of an edge trying to get into security, but sometimes it can still be difficult. So having that connection, I'm sure, makes it good. And it's a good selling point for the school, too, you know, to be able to help get students hired. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to sort of build on the networking part, too, um, we also had students, a couple buddies of mine uh, that weren't actually associated with the university or anything like that. Um but having that network of all the people that are working at all these infosec companies uh, really did open a lot of doors for them. Um, especially like trying to get infosec jobs was pretty easy for them just because they knew the right people, uh, which a lot of times goes better than knowing the right stuff. Yeah. Just having those connections. Cause it doesn't matter how good you are. If people don't know who you are, it's just trying to make that connection. And, you know, yeah. recruiters have all these resumes they got to go through. And it's probably harder for people that are new to the industry because someone's just going to look at them out, quickly glance and see how much experience. And if they don't have any, or maybe they just got hacked the box and that sort of thing. They just pass on and not realize that they could be of value. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of the hard part, especially when I'm trying to recruit any interns, is you don't always get the full picture when reviewing a resume. Uh, some of the best hackers that we've ever hired are art majors, are music majors, or English majors, especially from that university pipeline. So you never really get the full picture until you meet these people, um, which is just, it, it always works out for our, uh, for the best for us, at least. Yeah, that's what, while we're kind of mentioning that, are there some, some tips or tricks that you'd recommend to someone? Because I know a lot of times people aren't putting things on there that they're doing the study and that's totally missed, you know, and that's, kind of a big deal to, to people that are hiring like yourself. So what are some Absolutely. tips there? 
Yeah, the, the key thing that I'm looking for, for at least our intern programs that come in is some initiative that you're really into the pen testing space, right? So if we're hiring for like a pen testing intern, uh, what the things I'd be looking for are maybe certifications. Um, and I'm not talking like OSCP, really high level certification. There's a lot of really smaller level ones, uh, Security Plus, VHL is a really good one. It's uh, like a pen testing uh, lab environments, super easy to do, does it off certificate of completion and only costs a hundred bucks. Um, so certifications are always that one good thing, but yeah, having your hack the box on there, having any relevant courses, any books that you really understand. Um, so if you've gone through like the web hackers handbook, for example, um, and you really know the content of that, like feel free to throw that on the resume. I will totally ask you a ton of questions about the book. Um, you know, I, I even have one buddy that helped write it. Um, but like, that's sort of the stuff that I'm looking for, at least some initiative that you're really into the position. Um, oftentimes like what really sets it for me is like having a cover letter as well. Um, a good cover letter can really open a lot more doors. Uh, people tend to read those, especially if you're one of the people that puts them out there. Yeah, that, that's a great tip. You know, a lot of times people overlook that or they don't want to, to do the cover letter, but a lot of times you're trying to reduce the number of pages of a resume that's a place to share some information without adding too much to your resume. Yeah, absolutely. Plus you can really talk about, you know, what you're doing, what you're trying to do going forward and sort of how the goals of the company aligns to your goals in the cover letter as well. And as far as that goes, cover letter, what, what do you think about uh, people following up? If you, if you apply for a job, what do you like to see? Does that ever matter to you that, the applicant follows up later on to, to check on the status of the job or just a follow-up thanking you for the interview. Is that stuff still of value? I think so. Um, really the advice I give, and I'll sort of tie it back to like the thank you emails. Um, the way that the interview process works from the interviewer point of view, will sort of describe why it's a saying. So a lot of people will know that it's a saying that, oh yeah, send them a thank you email. But a lot of people don't know why. Um, the reason why is when you're doing an interview, whether it's with an intern or a senior consultant, uh, typically you have a dashboard of questions. You sort of have to ask the questions. They don't have to be specifically off the list, but you sort of write down your notes about the candidate um, and submit that information back to HR. Well, if you don't submit it immediately, which most people don't, it actually gives you a notification within 24 hours to say, hey, you know, submit this, um, you know, submit your scorecard for this person. So the reason they have that, you know, send a thank you note 24 hours afterwards is because when that person is writing it up or if they left it in their queue or whatnot, it gives them that initiative to go, oh, hey, this guy is really interested in the job. Like, you know, uh, maybe I was a little bit in the middle of like a maybe you know, seems like he's really interested in it. Now I'll push him towards a yes type deal. Um, so that's why they recommend doing that. Uh, it's pretty interesting that I never knew until I started doing more interviews. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, reach out to them, reach out to your recruiter. Um, the recruiters do put in a lot of work, especially when hiring, uh, e like even interns, like a lot of work goes into the process. So saying thank you a lot of times for your time, for interviewing, um, that goes a long way as well. You know, I figure there's probably going to be times where that could be a deciding factor. You've got two candidates, you're having a hard time to decide. And then when you someone follows up with a thank you uh, email and, and seems a little more professional that, you know, I would say would probably help lean towards who you'd pick if you're having a hard time deciding. 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you tie in things that you talked about as well. Doesn't necessarily have to be the questions that they asked in the interview, but if you tie it back to, you know, anything that you're talking about during the interview, it always goes a long way as well. Shows you're paying attention. So what are some some of the soft skills since we're kind of talking about that, just kind of interview etiquette? Uh, and there's some other things that people overlook a lot of times, like writing skills and communication skills. Uh, how valuable do you think that is to to applicants? It's almost more important than the actual pen testing skills, uh, in my opinion. With consulting specifically, uh, like with a company like Bishop Fox, we're always going to be in front of the client. So being able to communicate and articulate your thoughts efficiently with them uh, is going to be like one of the key things, or at least like the key driving factors in an interview process as well. Um, so that's definitely one of the big things that we look for is how well you can communicate with other people, how well you can communicate with your team, because uh, oftentimes you'll be working on projects with you know team members as well. And if you have somebody that's just not communicating, you're shooting off a message once a day, you know maybe twice a day, and just not there. Um, that's always going to be a problem later down the road. But yeah, uh, understanding how to write a professional email is something that's super good as well. Um, it takes a little bit of practice to be able to do that. Um, but ultimately, like writing a very professional, um, articulate email is, is oftentimes a really good skill to have. Yeah, th- those, those are good points there, too. And the better you can describe and explain stuff in your pen test report, the easier it's going to be for you. Because when you do the, the debrief or readout, and if they don't understand it, you're going to have a lot more questions if they don't understand. So, yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're going to ask questions that you may not always know the answer to as well. Uh, so knowing how to communicate when you don't know the answer to something is very important. Um, it, it does happen. Nobody knows everything. Nobody, you know, sometimes when you're doing a report, things change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may have worked one way when you were acting with the machine, but now it's changed. Uh, understanding why it works like that, you may not always know, but being able to communicate with the client or the customer and telling them like, hey, like, you know, we'll, we'll go, we'll remediate the problem. We'll work with you to get this fixed. Like we're, we're here, we're available. Um, you know, set up a time, we'll talk and we'll walk you through it. It's always a huge, uh, a huge winner just in the business world in general. Yeah. That that's great advice. Cause it could be difficult when you're giving, you know, you're giving someone a report and they feel like you're beating up on them. And sometimes the seems like the better you communicate and just try to build that rapport, the better it is for you as the, as the pen tester. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of another thing, right? Um, security problems do happen and they happen in every organization and it's not always the person's fault. Um, sure, they may have like, you know, accidentally uh, mismanaged memory and I have a buffer overflow, but like understanding and being able to articulate that to a client like, hey, you know, we don't need to we don't need to put blame on this person specifically. Like we need to get better as an organization. And that's sort of what we're here to do. We want to put the roadblocks in place so that this doesn't happen again. It may not just happen with that specific person, but if we can put the roadblocks in place with the entire organization, uh, that's, that's going to be the best path to go down. Very cool. Good, good information there. Uh, So one of the things I typically ask my guests is what, what advice would you give someone that's wanting to get in, get in the industry? How would you, you know, you did your path, you went through college, but, you know, you've been experienced professional and helping people along the way. What would you recommend to someone that wanted to be an offensive security professional? I'd say getting harder or getting started is usually the hardest part with that. Um, 
you got to know your stuff, right? If you're going to go into the industry, a lot of times, uh, especially even with the college route, people go through college, get their degree and don't know anything about the thing they got their degree in. Uh, so if you want to be a pen tester, you need to know how to pen test. And nowadays, there's so many resources out there for it. Uh, try Hack Me, Hack the Box, Bone Hub, um, thousands of thousands of blog posts, articles, things like that. Uh, so really diving deep, knowing your stuff, uh, you can start a blog, like the way that you, you, the way that people learn is always going to be different. Uh, some people are very good hands on some people can read books and understand it better than the hands on people like it, it just really depends on your learning style. But whatever that learning style is, uh, get to the point, I'd say before you really start looking for the job to where like, you can show value to a company or you can bring value to a company that you're going to work for or trying to go work for, uh, because that's going to, it's going to go a long way, especially when, you know, you know, web app pen testing, if you're trying to be a, a web app pen tester, you got to know the OWASP top 10. Like the, there's just no questions about it. They're going to ask in your interview. If you don't know something simple like a XSS or a, a SSRF, like it's going to end up hurting you in the long run. Yeah, and it seems like on the interviews, that's the stuff you always get asked about. If any kind of vulnerability, it's usually something related to the OWASP top 10, even if you're not specifically interviewing for a web app pen testing job. It always is. And having experience actually finding those vulnerabilities, whether it be in labs or um, on anything else, is, it's critical because then you can actually talk about like, oh, we may have had this SSRF vulnerability, but we could chain it to this as we did it in this lab. Like this is the key indicators that we look for. Um, and that it goes a long way, especially when you can talk more about the vulnerability, not just reading off the definition of it. Yeah, it's interesting. We interviewed someone at a company, one of my former companies. And one of the things that the team was, was impressed with, the person couldn't name the different types of cross-site scripting, but they could explain explain them, but didn't have the names right, which was good because that's the important part. It's easier yeah. <laughs> to figure out which one is which, you know, so. Yeah, I've, I've done that as well. Um, when they asked me what DOM is and I'm like, I can't remember what it stands for. I just don't use it enough, but this is how it works. Um, yeah. it, it does happen. And oftentimes if you can explain how it works better than the def, you know, the, the core definition, it goes a lot longer or it goes a lot better for the interview. And speaking of the interview questions too, uh, like you kind of mentioned, if someone doesn't answer correctly or know the answer, how would you, how's a good way to respond to that? If someone asks you a question in an interview about a certain subject or something and you don't have much experience in it or you really don't know it that well, what's a good way to respond to, to a question you don't know? I mean, I know some people can just say, I don't know, and that may be acceptable in some cases, but is there a better way of doing that? In my opinion, you should always add value to the question, right? So you may not know what, uh, if the question is, let's say, what is reflected cross-site scripting? If you don't know what reflected cross-site scripting is, it's not the end of the world. But if you do know what, let's say, stored XSS is, and you start talking about that instead, um, you can always start by saying, look, I, I don't exactly know what uh, this is, or I don't know what this specific variation of this is. But I do know about this um, and what can I, what I can tell you about this and how this, you know, how similar it is with the other thing may not be all that similar. But if you do add value to the question, uh, along with the I don't know, you don't want to lie. And that's the big thing, because the, the person giving the interview does know um, or they should. Sometimes they don't. But 
um, they, they should at least know the answer to the questions that they're asking. And, you know, if you try to lie to them or try to give them a bad answer, um, it, it gives a really bad intuition of what you're going to do in front of a client. So if a client asks you a question and you don't know, it's better to tell the client that you don't know, but you're more than happy to follow up with them. You're more than happy to figure it out. Uh, you just don't know at the current time or you'll follow back up with an email rather than trying to, you know, make up something else. Yeah, that's not a good way to you know to interview or even when you're employed. If someone, <laughs> someone thinks you're lying. And one of the things I share with people too, when you're writing your resume up or your LinkedIn profile, make sure you're putting things you have experience with or let people know that you have limited experience with that. Because if you go in and claim to be a Burp Suite expert, expert. you're going to get asked a lot of questions about Burp Suite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing about your resume. Whatever you put on there, you have to know inside and out. So if you, I had an interview one time uh, where I put TCP on there and the guy wanted to know the entire TCP stack. He wanted to know the ins and outs of everything there was to know about TCP. And I, I just didn't know it. Like I, I knew it at a high level, but I didn't know it at a low enough level to what he wanted. Um, so yeah, anything on your resume is fair game. Um, oftentimes if I ever have to give interviews, I typically will just read your resume and ask things about your experiences, what tools you have on there. Um, that's typically how I like to do, uh, any sort of interviews that I'm getting. Very good advice. Very interesting. Uh, so one of the things too, we kind of talked about some different resources. What do you think about Port Swigger's web application security Academy? Do you, how do you like that resource? Is that something you recommend? And and what do you think about their cert? Um, I, I took their cert when they did the $10 deal. Um, it was kind of difficult. Uh, it was a lot more difficult than I would expect. But, you know, that's sort of like the, the try harder whole pen testing methodology type deal. Their labs are phenomenal. It's one of the best resources for any sort of web pen testing on the Internet. Um, they have a lot of blogs. They have a lot of research. Um, you know, they it's a phenomenal tool, phenomenal resource to use. And, you know, even the professionals are using uh, Burp Suite as a resource. It's, it's almost like the first thing you look up when you try to look up a vulnerability for web applications. Typically, they're one of the top three on, the, on like a Google search. Yeah, I've played around with the, the Academy because I used to use it for the web app pen testing course I was teaching when it first, first started out. There wasn't as much content on there. But I would say from just what I hear about the, the certification I would venture to to say that it's probably better than some of the web app pen testing certifications that are available out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot more in depth. Um, they also do a lot of chaining, which is really cool. So they'll chain vulnerabilities like XSS to CSRF, uh, a lot of acronyms, sorry, but um, <laughs> they, they do a lot of chainings. So they go really in depth. They show you how to find it out in the wild, what it's going to look like. And one thing they do really well, especially in their teaching is they show you different variations of it. Uh, which oftentimes if you do some trainings, like it's one variation and that's all you get. Uh, but with Port Swigger specifically, they'll show you four or five different variations of the same vulnerability, uh, which in my opinion gives you sort of the best overlook on how that vulnerability is going to exist in the wild. Very cool. Yeah. I wanted to make sure we get this in before, before the show ends, but you said you had some good stories. So uh, I'm sure a lot of people like myself, like a good story. So uh, if you got some stories you'd like to share, that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the big story, I guess it's sort of my life story, was um, building up the club, a lot of the challenges that we've had uh, with that. The Some of the internship opportunities out there that I've done, um, 
I guess is where a lot of like the fun comes in. Uh, never take anything too seriously. You just can't. So like a lot of times during some of the internships, I guess not a lot of times, but uh, during a couple of the inter internships that I've had, um, one of the internships that I first started doing in security uh, was pretty interesting. It was for a security company, but I wasn't really doing any sort of pen testing or anything like that. Uh, it was a sort of a bigger company, but what they had me doing was building out a system that they used for like their bathroom monitors. Really weird, but they, they only had two bathrooms and people hated having to walk to the bathroom and the door being locked or whatever. So we used some Raspberry Pis and set up a web application internally that was supposed to be you know secure. That was the security project that we did. Um, and ultimately, you can like set appointments and set times for the bathroom for the entire office at certain locations and things like that. Uh, but that was like my one of my first like real job security experiences, and uh, <laughs> it was definitely bizarre uh, building it and understanding why we needed it. Well, you think where it's used is kind of funny, but it's really an interesting project. So, did you have it set up like an Outlook, like a meeting room that you can reserve? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty funny with the Raspberry Pis and that you know, when the door was locked or unlocked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I have, I have an appointment with the second floor restroom at 1 p.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, was, it was definitely an interesting project. Uh, a lot of time went into it, and they, they're supposed to I, – I think they probably still use it today. Um, with COVID, I don't know if they're all full back in the office, but uh, back when it used to be a zoo and, you know, everybody was up and moving. Yeah. <laughs> it got used a lot more than I thought it would. Yeah, that, that would be helpful on airplanes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> so few restrooms and so many people. So, Yep. Yeah. Especially if you could see it right on your seat, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things is annoying if they would have it, you know, let you know where you don't have to get up and turn around and look to see if the lights illuminate <laughs> red or green back there. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting down towards the end of the show. If there are there any stories you'd like, any more stories you'd like to share, or any advice that you'd like to give, um, maybe some advice. I mean, you know, what worked for me, and this is sort of like the whole uh, the whole big thing about advice, right? What worked for me may not work for everybody else. Um, everybody sort of has their own paths. This is what worked for me. Um, you know, going the university route, building the club, doing that. Uh, started doing a lot more like public speaking, hack the box, all that sort of stuff. But it may not work for everybody. Um, sometimes and there's some hackers out there that I work with that are, you know, 10 times, 15 times better than I am. All they do is read books and they understand the technology completely just from the books. Um, and they're some of the best hackers in the world. So, you know, uh, take my advice with more or less a grain of salt. Um, there's a lot of opportunities out there. You just got to find the right one that works perfectly for you. That's good advice. And one of the things too, if anyone's considering college, you know, you don't have to have college or certifications to get into the field. But one of the things I will say is I don't, I think if you get a college degree, you won't ever regret it. But maybe <laughs> if you, if you don't get it and you wait till you're too old or whatever, and you don't want to go back to school or you can't go back to school due to your schedule, you may have regrets there. So that's one of the things to look at. Yeah, absolutely. And to sort of build on that too, uh, if you have any anybody in the audience that's sort of contemplating going back and doing a master's degree, um, there's really no time like the present. It's only going to get harder as things go on. Um, 
yeah, it, it never hurts to have the degree. Is it required? No, but does it help? Absolutely. Um, sometimes it can jumpstart your career or open a lot more doors that you may not have otherwise. Certifications are phenomenal though. Um, you know, there's a lot of certifications out there. Finding the right one, there's some that look really good on paper. There's some that teach you a lot more than, um, than they do look good on paper. But yeah, uh, ultimately, I guess it, you know, from what I've seen, you'll probably want one or the other when you're starting to apply or, or just even break into the industry, right? You don't have to have them, but if you don't have them, you have to have something else that gives you sort of the, the look, right? The infosec look, the, whether it be the, the number 1% and try hack me or like, a, you know, continuously playing hack the box or you've done, you know, port swigger or things like that. Uh, you'll need something to fill up the resume and show that you have the skills that are required for that position. Um, and so, you know, that's that's sort of what I would gear towards in that aspect as well. Yeah. And even though you don't have to have degrees in the industry these days, but one of the things I would say too is I think if you're someone that needs structure, then that may be the way to go than trying to do try hack me and hack the box and all this stuff on your own. Maybe you need that base. And once you learn that, maybe you're good to do self-study. But, you know, some people, I've known people that went to work for companies that were working remote and they just needed to be managed a little closer. And I think sometimes with education, sometimes people need that as well, too. If they've got deadlines, they got to get this done. It's not up to them if they don't do it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and it, it doesn't always matter where you get the degree either. Um, yes. Like I said, I got mine at... Uh, ASU, but you know, I've, I've met plenty of people from GCU or some of the other schools in the Valley here. Um, and it, it doesn't really matter what you get the degree in. And sometimes it doesn't matter what you get it in either. Um, when I first onboarded as an intern, actually, uh, one of my buddies is a music major, graduated with a bachelor's in music, and he's been pen testing ever since. Yeah, it's pretty am amazing where people start out sometimes. I mean, that's kind of like my wife is in digital forensics now, but she went to school for occupational therapy, worked in the healthcare industry and switched. You just don't, just don't know. And people all the time, they say, they say, am I too old? Because I mean, I don't mean to, to laugh at people, but when I hear a 31 year, a 30 year old say, am I too old? That's at 20, you're still a kid at 30, 10 years later, you're not old all of a sudden, but you know, to hear people say I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50. Am I too old? But I see people all the time that you know, get started at 50 years old in the industry, even, you know, it's never too late. Absolutely. And there's the, the nice part about the InfoSec industry as well is everybody's always willing to help. Uh, it's one of the few industries where everybody seems to want to help everybody else. Um, so that could be getting into, you know, certain jobs. If you're really interested in specific companies, a lot of times, you know, you can see the LinkedIn posts or the Twitter posts like, hey, does anybody work here? Can anybody give me a referral to this place? And you'll see thousands of likes and retweets and everything else. So they're like, yeah, here, here's the director. The director is giving them a phone call tomorrow. And uh, it's quite crazy to see how like close the industry is. Uh, it seems like everybody tends to know each other. Yeah, I agree. That's some, some great advice. So we're down towards the end of the show. So I'd like to thank you once again for, for joining. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day. Yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks for everyone for joining and we'll see you on the next episode. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers 
to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hacker Factory Podcast with Philip Wiley. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.